We're going to start today with a little competition. Is that okay? And I need some volunteers, alright? Now, here's the question. I'm not even looking yet, so your hands are way up. I need teams of a couple, alright? And if they could be family teams, it would be better, alright? So, alright, Mr. Rush and Mr. Staten, y'all aren't family, but you can come and bring Jeff with you. Alright, come on, Jeff. <laughs> alright, I need another set of three, alright? Well, Ben and Carolyn West in the back. Y'all come on up. All right. All right, here's the deal. This is going to be a puzzle competition. All right. Zach, tell me a number, one or two. Um, two. Okay, you're over here. All right, um, Ben and Carolyn. Oh, and Miss Marilyn Yonker's coming to join y'all. All right. Here are the rules. You have a puzzle to put together, and you must keep it in the way it is currently on your table. And so, you're going to see who can compete first, who can put the puzzle together first, alright? So here you all go. Now, I don't know that you can see this from out there or not, but one team has a picture to look at. I have the other team's picture, alright? The team that doesn't have a picture, their pieces are all turned upside down. So they can't see the picture at all. Now let me ask you a question. I know that we're Baptist and we don't bet. But if you were going to wager money on who was going to win, who would you choose? <laughs> this team? <laughs> or this team that already has half the puzzle put together? How about... Why? What, what makes the difference there? And don't please don't say Jeff's intelligence, alright? What, what makes the difference? Instructions. Okay, they don't have really instructions necessarily, but they have what? They have the picture. Have you ever tried to put a puzzle together without the picture? It's not easy, is it? I'll just be real honest. It's not real easy for me with the picture sometimes, but without the picture, it's really difficult. Now, why else? Because they can't even see what they're doing over here, right? Now, they're both very similar puzzles. They're both 24 pieces. They're both of uh, Disney's Cars movies. So they're simple puzzles, alright? And one team is close. And the other team has two pieces put together. <laughs> we have four, excuse me, alright. All right, and they're done over here, all right? All right, y'all can go. I'll, if y'all want to, I'll let you come back up after and put it together right. Okay. All right, Thanks. you're welcome. All right, so here's the point. I just wanted a really big pulpit today, all right? Here's the point. It's much easier to put something together when you know what it's supposed to look like. Amen? Here's what I want to tell you today, alright? We're going to finish up a series on marriage, and this is what I want to tell you. It's much easier to put a marriage together when you know what you want it to look like on the end. In fact, this is the statement I want you to get today. And you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be there, finish up there today. Um, if you, we're not on U version uh, with the notes today, but you can look on, on there on the app at Ephesians 5. This is what I want you to understand today. This is the point I want to make today is this. The most important day in your marriage is the final day of your marriage. 
The most important day of your marriage is the last day of the marriage. Now, our society doesn't necessarily think that. And the way you can tell they don't necessarily think that is because of the emphasis they put on the first day of marriage. Right? There are tons of magazines about your wedding day. And very little about what makes a marriage last or what it looks like on the final day. You ever seen some of the extravagant wedding things that go on? I mean, things that are on TV about things people spend or, or what's going on. I, I know that there are families that are in the process of, of planning a wedding in this room or just came out of that. And it's amazing all of the things that you have to walk through. Uh, being a pastor, I get to be a part of a bunch of weddings. That's one of the joys and sometimes challenges of being a pastor. One wedding in particular I remember was a wedding, you know, they talk about the girls think about their wedding day from the time they can first really think about anything. And they look forward to that day. Well, I was a part of a wedding where my cousin, who I'm very close to, my cousin, we're six weeks apart. Uh, she was born six weeks after me. We grew up in the same town. We were in school together, same classroom together. And so she and I know each other very well. It's not, uh, you know, we, we were very close as cousins. And she asked me to do her wedding. Well, my cousin is a floral designer. That's what she does. She has designed things for... Uh, she, the, remember the show The West Wing? She designed for The West Wing. She has designed red carpet things for the Oscars. She's worked with one of Oprah's guys on wedding planning. She's been flown over the world to do wedding design. And on her wedding day, she decided it had to be good. And so I got a list of instructions about what I was to wear and do on her wedding day. Now, one of those things was that she said, I will bring your tie. Now, at weddings, I wear black. And the only sense of expression I have is the tie. And at weddings, I generally go very conservative. She brought me this tie. It looks good, doesn't it? Now, my guess is this is the first time most of you have seen this tie. The wedding was almost three years ago, all right? I brought this out this morning and showed it to Jeff, and then I said, well, I'm not worried. He goes, I wasn't going to say anything, but... This tie is made out of the exact same fabric as the bridesmaids' dresses. It is custom made by a guy named Otis, who signed it on the back. It's in like Tommy Hilfiger that doesn't really make the tie. This guy made the tie, and it has the wedding date written on the back. All right. I apologize to you parents that I have just now given your daughters ideas. All right. Now, here's the thing. When she unveiled this tie, it was the perfect thing for that occasion. But I quickly realized it was the perfect thing for one occasion. That occasion. And I have not worn the tie since then. Now, it is, I mean, exquisitely made. I mean, it is silk and embroidered, and it is pink roses on orange fabric, which says man all about it, right, Dan? And I couldn't help but think of how much work went into this. Just this. The planning that was involved. Her theme was a butterfly wedding. 
the play that went involved in this matching the theme, of this being a part of the theme, of making sure that it matched exactly, of making sure what I wore would match this without me ever seeing it. And I thought about how that was one small detail of the wedding day. People spend enormous amounts of money and planning on the first day of marriage. But they rarely think about the last day. Now I want to ask you three important questions this morning. And here's the, the thing that I, I want to do for you this morning. All right, we, I thought we could make a little bit of a deal here. All right, How many of you would be okay with a really short sermon? Okay. The rest of you just don't want to raise your hand because you'll think it'll look bad. All right. I'm going to not speak very long at all today, but I'm going to give every married couple in this room homework. Alright? Amen? All the single people say? Amen. That's right. It's like in school when you say, all the boys get homework tonight. Alright. The girls are like, exactly. So married couples, I'm going to give you homework as you leave, whether your spouse is with you or not. Here's the idea. We're going to talk today about envisioning the last day of your marriage and then structuring your life to see that come about. Now, Paul talked about this in his life. If you've got your Bibles open and you've got at Ephesians 5, you can hold your finger there just for a minute and turn just a couple of pages over to Philippians chapter 3. And Paul talks about this in life, and really what we're going to talk about today is something bigger than just marriage. This goes for all aspects of your life. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 12 of the book of Philippians, Not that I've already obtained all this or I've been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What Paul says here is, I have in my mind a vision of what Christ has called me to do. In my mind I have an idea of what Christ has called me to do. To use the puzzle terminology, in my mind I have a picture of what my life ought to look like serving God. And what I do is I forget everything else and I press completely towards that goal. I, anything that gets in my way, I do what? I forget it, throw it away. Anything in my past that could prevent me from it, I forget it, throw it away. All I care about is moving towards what God has called me to do. Here's the thing I love about our faith in Christ and our life with Him. It tells us in Scripture that because of what Christ has done, that every day can be a brand new start for anybody or any relationship. Any day can be a brand new start for anybody or any relationship. If you walked into this room today and your marriage is literally on the edge of destruction, guess what? Today can be the day that is a new beginning for your marriage. If you walked in here today and your life is literally on the edge of destruction, today can be the day that is the beginning of something new for you. 
And what Paul says is, I forget. That means good stuff. That means bad stuff. But I forget what's behind and I strain towards what is ahead. In another place in the book of Hebrews, the writer says this idea of that I focus on what Christ Jesus wants me to do and anything that gets in my way, I throw it away. And so what I want us to do today is to ask the question, what does that look like in marriage? And in fact, I'm going to give you some big picture principles, some questions to ask, and then I'm going to ask you to go home and to answer some questions between the two of you. Some people consider this approach something called reverse engineering. You ever heard of reverse engineering? Reverse engineering is where you take a completed product and then you figure out how it got made. That's one way. In fact, if you look up reverse engineering, there are tons of technical terms for it. The one we're going for today is this idea of looking at an end product and then trying to figure out how you got to that end product. So what I'm going to ask you to do today is to reverse engineer your marriage and your life. And here's the thing. The whole purpose of it is to find ourselves back in Ephesians chapter 5 to this description of what marriage in the confines of believers who are searching and living for Jesus, what it ought to look like. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21. We're going to read the whole part. We've taken apart bits and pieces. We're going to take the whole part and then we're going to talk about it a little bit, ask a couple of questions and we'll be done. Verse 22 says, Wives... Excuse me, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word and to present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. But holy and blameless is the same way husbands ought to love their wives as, as He loves Himself. After I no one ever hated His own body, but He feeds it and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of His body. For this reason, we leave father and mother and be united to His wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Now here's the thing that I want us to think about today. I want us to think through this passage and what it kind of tells us about marriage and about life. We've talked about that over the last few weeks, and then I want to ask the question, is that where your marriage is heading or is? This is one of those days that even if you're not married, I hope that you'll begin to process some things in your mind and say, this is how I want my marriage to be in 5, 10, 15 years. This is what I want my marriage to be. Now, one of the things that I love about pastoring is getting to know couples that have endured for a long time. Just being able to sit with them. I had the opportunity this past week to, to visit with a couple of, of different couples in our church that have been married for a few years. Like, more than 50. And to sit and to see them talk with one another and help one another and, and, and 
engage in one another after that long is encouraging to me. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is sometimes, what does it take to get there? What does it take to be a part of that? In fact, when we look at this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, one of the things that we see is that it gives us a picture of what it ought to look like when we've been married 15, 20, 25, 30, 50, 60 years. The first thing that we see in this passage in verse 21 is that a great marriage is built on both parties graciously and willingly submitting their lives to the other. It involves being unselfish completely with your partner. Now, we talked about selfishness over the last few weeks because I think the root of most problems in marriage is selfishness. The root of most, pro- of most problems in marriage is the fact that we, by nature, are selfish individuals. And what it says in verse 21, and then it tells wives and it tells husbands, is that we must be people who are consistently submitting our own needs and rights to help the other, to build up the other, to love the other. So a healthy marriage is built on mutual submission that both are involved in helping one another. We also see in this passage of Scripture this, that an A marriage approved and God-honoring is a marriage that is more concerned with each other's holiness than each other's happiness. Now, that's a radical statement today. In fact, when, when most people ask couples who are thinking about marriage, why do you think this is the one? The most common answer given is, because I'm just happy around them. I just feel good. It just feels Right. Scripture teaches and experience teaches that marriage is about a whole lot more than happiness. Now, I'll tell you this. There's nothing in life that brings me more joy than my relationship with Susan. But that doesn't mean we're completely happy all the time. Married couples, amen? It's okay to say it. We're in church. All right? But you're going home, I know. That's why you got homework tonight, right? I'm trying to build the need, alright? What God is concerned with is that this relationship ought to be something that leads us closer and closer to relationship with the Lord and helps us to determine how to live for Him. That doesn't mean that other things aren't going to come along the way. Remember uh, the passage of Scripture, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then what? Everything else will be added unto you. So in marriage, we do that. It also tells us in this passage of Scripture we've talked about over the last few weeks, that a vital part of marriage is just great friendship. That a marriage ought to be built on friendship. It says in there that a husband ought to leave his family and the wife ought to leave her family and ought to come together and form a new family and just be good friends. Now, Mark just kind of got onto me a little bit. But, you know, one of the things I love in being a pastor is I get to see people in other places. Sometimes when you're uh, outside the church, especially with, with children, they see me at Publix. It's kind of like when you used to see your teacher out. Like, why aren't you at church, you know? But I saw Mark and Laura at Publix the other night. And on their date night, I'm sorry, I'm revealing this to everyone, their date night was grocery shopping. Amen, right? But here's the thing. 
They may have been arguing like cats and dogs when they didn't see me. But when I saw them, there was a smile on their face and they were just enjoying each other's company. The key to a great marriage is just great friendship. And here's the last couple of keys we talked about last week. That comes from the end of this passage. It says that love and respect must be a part of that. I read the story this week of John Wooden. Remember John Wooden, right? Most people consider him the greatest, at least male basketball coach that's ever lived. John Wooden loved his wife dearly. John Wooden was a man of faith. He was a man of principle. His wife passed away and John had always been a letter writer. And John, after his wife passed away, thought the only way to continue the friendship that he had with her was to continue to write her letters. And his letters were always in hopes of the time when they would be reunited again. The story goes, John Wooden lived many years past his wife's passing, that if you went and saw his bedside, the letters had begun to stack up. As he just poured out his heart to his best friend. And they say what made their relationship so strong was that he loved his wife. And she respected her husband. Let me just say, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get online. All our sermons are online. And just listen to the keys to a great marriage when it comes to love and respect. And so as we look at Ephesians chapter 5 and we think about all of these things, what we realize is that that is the ideal of marriage. Two people mutually submitting to one another, helping to serve one another in love. That we are consistently pushing one another towards what Christ would have us to be. That we are having a great friendship in the midst of that. And that we are loving and respecting one another on a consistent basis. So let me ask you three important questions and then we're done. First of all, how is your marriage going to end? There really aren't that many options out there. I mean, your marriage could end by divorce, which many, many marriages today do. Your marriage could end when one spouse prematurely passes away or passes away at just the time has come. And it's been an okay kind of thing and you've lived together but you've kind of been separate. Or your marriage could end when the first spouse passes away. Being able to stand there and to relish how great it has been to live together and to serve the Lord together. Let me ask you the second important question. How do you want your marriage to end. If you were to ask yourself that question, what do I want it to look like? What do I want it to look like? My, my hope is that your marriage and your desire would look a lot like Ephesians chapter 5. Now, here's the truth. That will look different in each marriage. The principles will be the same, but it will look different. And here's the last question. What do you need to do or intend to do to get there? I told you, married couples, you've got homework, and I'll show it to you. As you leave today, there's going to be a four-page sheet in the back. Now, here's the good news. It's printed on both sides. 
So 4 plus 4 is? See, you get math here too, right? Eight pages. You don't have to do it all this afternoon. And all God's people said? Amen. All right? Here's the idea. This is for people that are in marriage right now, thinking about it, or you've been in there for a long time. This could be for couples that are having a great marriage or you've got some, some things going on. The first page is just some general summary kind of things. Then it asks you to write out your priorities. And then it says, there's a second step, to envision your future. Set a time not too far out that it's unattainable, but not short that you can't meet some goals. And then there are about five pages of questions about that future in five to ten years. And the question you need to ask is, what do you want it to look like? And then there's just a page or so of questions about what do you need to do to get there. The idea is sometime when you and your spouse are alone, you go through some of these questions. Not all at once necessarily, but a little at a time. And then begin to ask the question, what does it look like in our plan to do that? Making a plan towards it. Now listen, don't make a plan outside of God. Use the resources that God has given you in Scripture and some things that are on this page. It's actually adapted from a book from a pastor and his wife that asked some of these questions in their own relationship. And I'm going to encourage you to do that. Now here's the truth. I'm not going to ask you ever again if you did it. So you pass regardless. Amen? Good. Not like I could fail you anyways, right? You pass regardless. I've just become convinced that the number one area that Satan is going to attack the children of God is in our families. It's happening and it has happened. And God's will is for God-honoring marriage. Now, some of you have been in marriage relationships that have broken up, and there were reasons for that, and there were biblical reasons for that. And I'm not trying to, to get on to you. Some of you are in marriages that are very difficult, and you've been trying your hardest, and your partner will not come alongside of you. And some of you are just kind of falling into where you are in marriage. I'm just asking you, to think about the end and then what it's going to take to get there.